0: There's a building in downtown Louisville. It's nothing much to look at, stone, concrete, likely built in the late 60s, but it sits at a busy intersection, just one block from a major sports complex where the Louisville Cardinals play and artists like Coldplay and Lady Gaga perform. In this building, it only hosts two businesses inside. In both of these businesses, they are driven by their personal ethics. They both believe that they are for women and they both believe that they are for the flourishing of society. And even though they're only separated by eight inches of wood and drywall, they could not be farther apart. The reason is because one of these businesses is Kentucky's only abortion clinic, and the other is a pro-life crisis pregnancy center. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And
1: I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community.
0: Today's episode, where the gospel meets abortion. I'm here with producer Rachel Zabo, and we report on a lot of different important issues. And most of these issues have dramatic impact on people's quality of life, racism, sexism, community. But in today's episode, the stakes are much higher. With an abortion clinic and a pro-life center sharing the same building, Every day on this block is about life itself. Welcome to Our Corner of the Urban Universe.
2: In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions should be allowed to make their own decisions about their own health. The clinic was in jeopardy of being shut down by the state on Monday. The Supreme Court struck down abortion restrictions in Texas.
3: Because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges.
0: Abortion. A word for most of us synonymous with politics and law. And we think that is our duty on this issue. Vote for the right candidates who will make the right kinds of laws about abortion. But the thing about laws is they're never quite enough. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, a lawyer asked Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus basically responds by telling him, you know the law, what's the law? And the law was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself.
1: But like any good lawyer, what this man really wanted to know from Jesus was what are the rules within this rule?
0: What's the scope of the law?
1: What are the implications?
0: Who qualifies?
1: Who's breaking the law?
0: What he wanted were details. And abortion gets dealt with in the same way. What are the rules within the rule? When is it okay and when is it not okay? Is it ever okay? And for us as Christians, we believe that the ethics on this are actually pretty clear. What we don't believe is that the issue is simple. In fact, we believe that simplistic responses are actually hurting the cause, which ultimately hurts unborn lives. So even though the ethics on this might be black and white, we need responses that are more nuanced and more thoughtful And in today's story, we're not going to be talking about abortion in terms of laws and politics. And that's because for most women who find themselves considering abortion, their primary concern isn't the law.
2: Yeah, they're not really caught up in the political or the constitutional argument. In our experience, they want to be unpregnant.
0: That's Monica Henderson. Monica is the executive director at A Woman's Choice. And we know that it can be confusing, but A Woman's Choice is the name of the pro-life crisis pregnancy center.
1: And it can be confusing because the word choice is oftentimes associated with the pro-choice movement, people who are for women getting abortions.
0: But before we hear about the women actually in crisis pregnancy and what they are concerned about, we're first going to hear how in the world this pro-life center ended up next door to Kentucky's only abortion clinic. Just
2: the nature of abortion in Louisville, Kentucky and at that location It's one of the few abortion clinics probably in the country that has a public sidewalk entrance. Okay, so
1: most abortion clinics have a fenced-in parking lot. So if you're a woman going to the abortion clinic, no one's really going to bother you. But in Louisville, the abortion clinic is downtown. So there's no private parking lot. There's no private entrance. I mean, you can literally walk past the building on your way to McDonald's. And what that also means is anyone can walk up to a woman as
2: she's going into the abortion clinic. The founders wanted to be able to have one-on-one conversations and sit down with a woman and say, what's going on in your life? What's going on around you that's pushing you towards abortion?
1: A woman's choice is not a sidewalk ministry. However, they are able to use the sidewalk to help them engage abortion-minded women. And that was working pretty well for them, actually. But then something happened. And what happened was the office space next to the abortion clinic became available for rent.
2: One of our board members thought if the abortion clinic gets that space, then they will open up the parking lot. The concern wasn't so much with the office space. The concern
1: was with the parking lot connected to that office space. If the abortion clinic were to take over the whole building and get the parking lot, then the ability for a woman's choice to
2: have those private conversations with women out on the sidewalk, it's gone. And so we asked the landlord, you know, what's the deal? And they were negotiating with a restaurant at the time. And they said, you're, you're next in line. If the restaurant negotiations fall through, we'll let you know.
1: Well, those negotiations did fall through
0: and a woman's choice was given the lease. OK, so like that had to have been a big win for them, right? Because now they can still talk with women who are going into the abortion clinic.
1: It was a big win for them in the fact that the abortion clinic didn't get a private parking lot. But it also put a woman's choice right in the middle of something else that's been happening on this sidewalk for decades.
0: So those people are praying outside the clinic. But wait, who's the lady in the background?
3: We wanna be here for you. We wanna let you know that there are great resources available.
1: That's another pro life activist because the abortion clinic still has a public sidewalk entrance, anybody can walk right up to the door.
3: Right next door, Wallace choice, is a pregnancy resource center. That's what they do.
4: They have to provide
1: resources. And believe it or not, this is actually calm. It's just people praying, speaking. But other times, in particular on Saturday mornings, this sidewalk can end up looking more like a sideshow.
0: Wait, so they're playing... That is not a real baby. They're playing a recording of a crying baby. Oh, You can hear it all down the block. Gosh, that was so unsettling. A man's holding a banner that literally has a disembodied baby. Limbs and hands and heads and... There's dozens of people... And literally, they're all around the block.
4: It's Everything
0: that is nonsense.
1: A Woman's Choice not only needed to find another way to have one-on-one conversations with women, they now also need to find a way to distinguish themselves from the sidewalk protesters. Honestly, A Woman's Choice finds it so unhelpful that they're reluctant to even go outside and engage in what's happening out there. So what they did was they came up with a plan.
2: They'll pull into our parking lot, and we will, we've asked them to get a parking permit, and that's strategic. A woman who has
1: an appointment at the abortion clinic can park in a woman's choice parking lot. All
2: they ask her to do is to come inside and get a parking permit. We will tell them that we're not the abortion clinic, but we ask them to come in and get a parking permit so we can have a five-minute conversation with them at our front desk. They'll ask them things like, have you seen your doctor yet? Have you had an ultrasound? Are you aware of all the options that are available to you? That same quiet conversation that we would have tried to have on the sidewalk, we try to have at our front desk away from all the screaming how people.
5: You Jesus to
1: you? The pro-life folks are not the only people out on the sidewalk. The abortion clinic also has volunteers. And in fact, some of those volunteers are willing to go to very extreme measures to make sure that a woman does not go inside
2: of a woman's choice. We've heard for years they take your clothes and don't let you leave, which, of course, is illegal. Like, they believe that we lie to women, that we're deceivers. The fact that we have choice in our name is something that we're criticized for by pro-choice abortion activists.
1: Every day, a woman's choice has to distinguish themselves from the sidewalk protesters that are pro-life and also from the abortion clinic volunteers that are pro-choice. And they have to do that while also having conversations with women and trying to help them through a crisis pregnancy. So the way a woman's choice does that is they offer things like free counseling, ultrasounds, pregnancy tests, baby items like diapers and wipes, All different kinds of resources
2: in the hopes that these women will see that choosing life is a good and a viable option for them. They don't call it crisis pregnancy as a joke. It's a crisis. Here's the thing. When a woman walks into a woman's choice and she's pregnant, she's in a crisis. And that means she needs a response that's going to help her in the crisis. I'm underage. I'm unmarried. This baby's going to be biracial and my parents don't like African-Americans. It's always a mix of different reasons. A lot comes down to a belief that you can't handle it financially. And this is exactly the
1: situation that Kinshasta found herself in. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know,
3: five kids was like, what am I going to do? Lord, what do you want me to do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kanchasta is a single mom raising five kids. She's in and out of relationships a few times, so several of her kids come from different fathers. And when Kinshasta's youngest child is about two years old, Kinshasta finds herself pregnant again. I'm going to provide for my children, whatever the situation, I'm going to try to provide.
3: I've always kept a job. I've always, at some point in time, I've had one, two, three jobs at a time. But it was just like, am I able to do this?
0: When my wife and I became pregnant, you know, it was a time to celebrate, a time for baby showers. It was a time where we were economically stable enough that we were excited about what was going to happen. And so for us, being pregnant was a season wrapped up in excitement and anticipation.
1: Yeah, but if you're a single mom already holding down multiple jobs and taking care of multiple kids, it's like an everyday constant battle because you are you wake up and you're thinking,
3: and out through the day, you're thinking, but at the same time, you're still having to take care of
1: your family and do the thing and function. While Kinshasta's trying to take care of her family, she's wondering what she's going to do when child number six arrives. In fact, one of the top five reasons women give for considering an abortion has to do with finances. And 75% of women who get abortions are considered poor or low income.
0: Okay, let me, let me interject here for a second. So, Kanchasta, she is a good mom, but she's also a single mom. And I know that we have listeners who are thinking, why does this woman keep on having kids? Like, why in the world does she not stop getting pregnant with people who are not her husband? And that's true. From a moral standpoint, there is some validity there. However, I also want you to think about it like this. If your child wants to go to college, what's the typical thing that middle-class folks do to afford college? take out student loans. Absolutely, they take out student loans. And anyone with any kind of debt will tell you, debt is bad. There are endless statistics that show how much student debt is crippling our economy. There are so many people that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s that are just piled under debt. But we take it on for what purpose? For the hope of having a better future. And in the same way, in relationships, many of us, we sleep with the person that we're with. We have sex with them for the purpose of making sure that we could potentially have a future together. And I think that for many people, when it comes to the topic of getting pregnant when you're not married, many of the exact same principles are applying as it relates to student loan debt.
1: Right. And we're not trying to condone Kinshasta's relational habits here. We're just trying to see what is on the line for these women who are in a crisis pregnancy. What's going on in their life that's making this pregnancy a crisis?
0: Because for most Christians, the, the decision seems so obvious. It's it's a human life, and taking another human's life, it's unimaginable. And to help us get a better picture of what life is like in crisis pregnancy, we talk to this guy.
4: Because if poor person gets pregnant, they're going to be, obviously, even more poor And there's this way that they can get out of it. Yeah, it makes sense to give it to them if you're not thinking about it in terms of human life.
0: This is Brad Brown. And while he's not an economist or an expert or anything like that, we wanted to talk to him about this issue for one specific reason.
4: And, you know, looking at my life, I'm like, I have clearly benefited by getting one.
0: Coming up next, the Christian who benefited from abortion. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is Kristen from Louisville, Kentucky. I made an impact on women in crisis pregnancy by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship and Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today.
0: Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks.
1: And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's story where the gospel meets abortion.
0: We're about to hear from Brad Brown. So, 17 year old Brad was dating his first girlfriend. Brad is from rural Appalachia. Teenage pregnancy is common, higher education is not. And Brad was on course to escape this cycle. But then one day he gets a phone call, and it's his girlfriend on the other line. And she's got some news for him. She's pregnant
4: absolutely no sense of joy or happiness or excitement about that whatsoever. It was immediately, oh, crap. Might have even cried, I don't remember. But I don't think it was out of a sense of, what have I done? It was more of a, oh no, what does this mean for me?
0: What it meant was Brad might not be able to finish high school, and he definitely would not be going to college next year like he planned.
4: So I very quickly a second thought, thought, all right, we need to figure out how to, you know, not have this thing. So pretty much immediately, I was, you know, encouraging an abortion.
1: So according to the National Abortion Federation, if you get an abortion between six and ten weeks of your pregnancy, the cost is
4: $350. I mean, that's the easy option, the cheap option. Frankly, the best option, if you're talking, you know, your own position, material wealth, or social mobility. So from a monetary standpoint, of course, Brad would insist on an
0: abortion. And at first, his girlfriend resisted, like hard. Uh, But then eventually, she called Brad on the phone again, and she said that she had done it. She had the abortion.
4: Big sigh of relief. Thank goodness. I was very much relieved. It never crossed into the thought that this is a person. Is just more of a concept, more of a blob of tissue, I guess. There's no sense that it was a murder, per se.
0: Which may be why he readily encouraged the same action when his girlfriend got pregnant a second time. It was an exact replay of the first. His girlfriend called, said she's pregnant. Brad says abort it. And eventually she does.
4: Maybe this was, you know, where I developed my ability to numb out feeling. Because one way of looking at it, you know, I. Helped kill a couple people.
0: So here's what happened after that. Not becoming the dad of two kids, Brad goes off to college. And at college, he starts considering the weight of what he'd done.
4: It's a pretty visceral one and pretty public. It's a pretty hot button thing to do. Um, So naturally, it made me question and go, oh, gosh. You know, if this Bible stuff is right, I am in trouble It really did prompt me to crack open the Bible of my own accord for the first time.
0: And here's the thing. Brad eventually became a follower of Jesus in college. His whole outlook in life began shifting. And part of that outlook was Brad not seeing unborn life as a blob of tissue, but seeing unborn life as a person.
4: Being a Christian now is, I would say that currently it seems to me that Unborn children do seem to be that children, so humans.
0: And while he doesn't advocate for people getting abortions, because of his experience, he does deeply sympathize with people like Kinshasta, who find themselves in crisis pregnancy and are struggling to make a good decision.
4: There's a lot going on in it. And it's one that, you know, you kind of have to approach a lot of sensitivity and you have to approach it with a holistic approach.
0: It seems to me that inside all of us,
4: there's a scale.
0: And that scale is related to temptation. Every hard situation that we come into contact with in life, you know, things like being a single parent or financial hardship or the fear of our children being taken away from us, those things are heavy and they go on the scale and the temptation grows for us to make the wrong decision. And while we in no way believe that having an abortion is a viable and good option, we believe that it's wrong. The truth is that all of us struggle to do the right thing when that scale is tipped so far in one direction. And a lot of times we don't want to talk about all of the details and circumstances that led a person to make that decision, even if it was the wrong one. And whether or not we could have done something to have lightened the weight of the scale...
1: And so it's these kinds of heavy things, you know, being a single parent having financial hardship that are weighing on Kinshasta when she walked into a woman's choice to speak with one of their counselors. So I sat down, filled out the paperwork, and then I was, I think I still was filling out paperwork when I got called back into one of the rooms. The counselor sits down with Kinshasta and they talk about what's going on in her life. They give her different resources and options if she wants to choose life for her baby and ways that they can help her through this crisis. But even after talking through all of that, the staff at A Woman's Choice can't make the decision. Ultimately, it's Kinshasta's choice. I did look at everything and I still was
3: getting counseling. I still was um, doing the things, but I just, I was just like, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I just couldn't do this again. Um, I made that decision to abort at the time.
0: Right, so... She wants to abort the baby?
1: She's decided that's how she's going to get out of the crisis. Physically, financially, emotionally. So the next time she comes downtown, she's not going to be going to a woman's choice. She's going to be going next door to get an abortion. On the morning of Kinshasta's appointment, one of her friends drives her to the clinic you have to bring somebody with you. You are not allowed to come in by yourself. When they get there, there's protesters on the sidewalk. But Kinshasta's actually not paying attention to anything that's going on on the sidewalk.
3: They were speaking, but I, at the same time that I was
1: praying. So Kinshasta's walking to the clinic, and she's walking through this crowd of people that are protesting and yelling. Kinshasta's actually just praying quietly to herself. You know, just one of those hard conversations you just have. And you
3: sit and you listen and you try to hear maybe something will go wrong or he'll intervene.
1: Or Kinshasta and her friend get to the door at the clinic. They walk inside and they sign in. Her friend leaves and will be back to pick Kinshasta up. The clinic staff take Kinshasta back to what looks like a small waiting room.
3: You have other ladies in there with you.
1: Um, You're watching TV,
3: looking at magazines, just like you're in a waiting room. Then they start calling individuals back. And the first
1: thing they call Kinshasta back for is to speak with one of their counselors. And you talk about, you know, if this is what you want to do, sign paperwork, what have you. And in Kinshasta's case, she still wanted to proceed with the abortion. So she signs the paperwork and returns to the waiting room. Then they call her back a second time. Then you get called to ultrasound. Um, You do your ultrasound. After the ultrasound, Kinshasta is sent back again to the waiting room. There's actually a lot of waiting that happens before the actual abortion procedure. And at any point during the counseling or the ultrasound or just sitting and thinking while you're in the waiting room, you are given the option to walk out if you change your mind. I think some, you know, maybe two or three of the women got up and left. Then they
3: start calling people um, to go to the surgery.
1: There are actually two types of abortions. You can get a medical abortion or you can get a surgical abortion. A medical abortion is for patients who are in the early stages of their pregnancy. And what happens is they're given pills and these pills will cause the death of the embryo. And once it is killed, it will be expelled from your body. A surgical abortion can vary in methods and procedures, but essentially what it does is it uses suction to remove the fetus or the embryo from the uterus along with the placenta and any remaining tissue connected to that fetus. So once Conshasta has the surgery and wakes up from the anesthesia, her friend has come back to the clinic and picks her up, and they go home. Like, I wasn't happy. You know, I had it done. it was It was just
3: like... More or less the opposite, like, what have you done? Um, maybe a little bit of anger, a little bit of, of guilt. Really, why did you just, you could have done it. You could have done one more. Um, but it's after the fact.
0: Wow. Just to hear all of that firsthand, I mean, that, that is really hard to hear. Half of me feels you can hear Kinshasa's pain in her voice over the whole thing and the decision she made and the guilt she feels. And then this other part of her that feels like it relieved so much tension. And then another part of her that feels like she could have another child right now. And then another part, I mean, there's there's so many tension points, you know, and yeah, that that is very hard.
1: Yeah. As Kinshasta was sharing this story with me, I was shocked. And, you know, it's so easy for someone like myself, who's not in the situation, to immediately respond with, why couldn't she put the kid up for adoption? Or this is why abortion needs to be outlawed.
0: Yeah, laws matter. I believe that laws matter. Laws govern our country. They give us guidance as people. But so often we end up just focusing on the law and we have a lack of concern for the actual people that are impacted by the law. We're out of alignment.
1: Yeah, which makes me wonder, what does it look like to really truly be pro-life?
0: Well, and I think the answer to really, truly being pro-life in many ways is found in adoption. I spent some time reading some different articles, and there are three different kind of major themes that come out as it relates to minority communities and low-income communities and adoption. And the first one is that for many low-income communities, adoption is associated with the foster care system. So while there are plenty of really wonderful foster care families out there, there are also plenty of horror stories of kids being shipped household to household and never having any sense of belonging. The second one actually pertains to the issue of race. So the idea of a woman who is minority giving birth to a child and then handing them over to a white family, there's a lot of fear and concern in that. Will my child's racial identity be accepted by you and by the culture at large? And then the third issue is the issue of shame. When a woman is pregnant for nine and a half months, everyone can see. Then all of a sudden she comes home from the hospital and she doesn't have her baby. There's a fear that other people will see her and they'll think there's that woman who gave up her baby.
1: But even with all those different barriers, still choosing adoption, choosing life, is a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, in the end, we would say that it's absolutely worth it. And to illustrate that, we wanted to hear from this woman.
5: And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, no, this is not what I do not want this. No, please, no, 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 uh,
0: basically was what was going through my mind. A secret pregnancy, a panic attack and the beauty of choosing life. Stay with us.
4: Hi, this is Tabitha
1: from Lincolnton, Georgia. I made an impact on women in crisis pregnancy by serving for a year with Love the neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship and Christian community, visit
4: lovethyNeighborhood.org and apply today.
0: Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Ubanks
1: and I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's story where the gospel meets abortion.
0: The stories we're following today come from a woman's choice, the pro-life center next to Kentucky's only abortion clinic. And even when a woman chooses life for her baby, that's not the end of the story.
1: Next, we're going to hear from volunteer Annie Highsong. Why am I bothered by this? Like, I'm fine. Annie is actually adopted. And while Annie told herself that this was all fine and she was all okay with this, this is a beautiful thing and I'm not supposed to be hurt by this. Annie felt the sense that something was wrong with
5: her. And deep, deep down, I was like, no, I'm rejected. Like,
1: (laughs) I was abandoned. And then all of those things finally came to the surface when Annie came and served at a woman's choice through Love Thy Neighborhood.
5: I am, like, going to work. I'm working at a crisis pregnancy center. And I was walking in on a Friday. And I'm like, I just, like, don't feel right. I feel so weird right now. My heart is, like, racing I, like, can't really, like, hold my hand still. And I'm having a hard time breathing. And, like, there's, like, no reason. And the nurse comes in and she's like, have you ever had a panic attack? I think that's what's happening.
1: So the nurse center in one of the empty counseling rooms, Annie just starts sobbing in this room, lying on the floor. All the, the women, all the staff at A Woman's Choice come into the room. Eventually, Annie calms down enough to explain to them what had happened just a few days earlier Over the Thanksgiving holiday. So Annie went to her aunt's house for Thanksgiving and her birth mom also came there. All growing up, Annie would see her birth mom regularly at family gatherings and get-togethers. So we are all sitting on this bed. It's Annie, her aunt, and her birth mom. And then I just hear come out of my mouth. Tell me what happened. Regarding her birth, because Annie didn't know the details. She had been left in the dark. Nobody talked about it with her. And as soon as
5: I said it, I was like, oh, no, this is not what I do not want this. No, 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 no.
1: And her birth mom goes, "Okay." And so then she tells her about she was 19, freshman in college. She her words, you know, I was the good girl. I was, you know, I didn't didn't do anything that was not right. And she had been dating this guy for three months found out she was pregnant, didn't tell anybody, didn't tell the birth dad, didn't tell her parents, didn't tell any family, friends. Part of me thinks that it was maybe because she just didn't want to believe it was happening. She kept it a complete secret until she was almost full term. At this point, she was dating another guy and they're in the car. A lady ran a red light and hit
5: them, hit her side of the car.
1: And she was trapped in there. And so when they got her out,
5: The EMS folks were like, she's clearly pregnant. We have to get her to the hospital right now. We got to get the baby out. So they did a C-section. My lungs weren't fully developed. I came out with this like huge bruise on my head. Just very emergency C-section.
1: Her birth mom had already decided that she was going to give Annie up for adoption. There was a couple there in her extended family at the hospital that said, we want her. We want to take her. And so once Annie's birth mom finishes telling her the story about Annie's birth and adoption, Annie just starts feeling very upset. Like, why
5: was I not good enough for you to like tell somebody about me? Like why? And I just cried. I was like, "What is wrong with me? Because my whole life I've been like, I'm fine. I this does not this does not hurt me. I am not bothered by this." Ugh, I don't know. I'm
1: sorry. I do not want to cry. <laughs> Which brings us back to a woman's choice where Annie is in one of the empty counseling rooms lying on the floor having a panic attack. So once she explains to the staff what she had learned from her birth mom about her birth and her adoption, all of the women, all of the staff in the room put their hands on Annie and just start praying over her. And
5: to have all these women who are daily like seeing people come in. Who are in crisis and need help um, and save babies are praying over me, who's like starting to work through like these like pains of I was not
1: wanted, I was given away, I was rejected. The staff at a woman's choice say, You should go see the counselor. You should go see the counselor at a woman's choice. And so Amy starts going to see the counselor on a regular basis.
5: I was able to like talk to this
1: man on the other side of things
5: who was seeing women every day who have chosen life, who have not chosen life, who have given their babies up for adoption. And I'm like, I was on the other end of that. Like I was the baby. The fact that I got to work through all of this in a crisis pregnancy center. (laughs) I can't even believe it's true. It's like crazy to me. Um, that I firmly believe it was the best place for me to be. They helped me project compassion on my birth mom. She was alone and still chose a good thing. And eventually she arrived at this place where she was just so thankful. That is like one of the most selfless things I will ever see a human do. Um, Is say, I can't take care of this person, but I'm going to hand them over to somebody who can and have all those rights stripped away from me. And it just, like, breaks my heart to think about it, how difficult that is. But I'm thankful. Yeah. I just want her to know that, that I'm not, like, I'm not angry. I'm not, you know, upset about it because it was such a beautiful, beautiful gift that she gave me.
1: And for Annie, being pro-life means having the same kind of selflessness as her birth mom. Are you doing life with these women? Are you
5: offering to take their saved babies? Are you offering to put a plan in place for them? Um, You don't know them. You're going to hell and you're a terrible person and you're a murderer. Like that's not showing compassion. Like the struggles, like you, you don't know who people are unless you really get to know them. And if you're not willing to do that, then you have to put your science down.
0: One of the ways that a woman's choice seeks to show compassion is through a variety of different services. They offer things like life skills classes, GED courses, Bible studies. They do free child care and relationship coaching. But in the midst of all these things, one of the ones that is most special and most important is actually something that both Kinshasta and Brad went through themselves, and that's a post-abortive class. This class is for women and men who have been involved in abortion, to help them process and grieve the loss and the pain that oftentimes is hidden. And one of the things they do in this class is have a memorial service, and they ask the parent to name the child that was aborted, and then to write notes and prayers to that child. Okay, so talk to us about what we're looking at here.
2: Yeah, um, on the hallway of our medical clinic, we have uh, the memorial to the unborn. And when the mom has given us permission, we will publish their prayers on this wall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, ah, these are so moving. Yeah, this one says, "I miss you in my arms. I think of you every time I see a child. I'm sorry I made the decision to end your life. Love, mommy." Samantha, we're sorry for denying you a chance at life, to play with Legos, to fight with your brothers, or skin your knee, your first smile, first tooth, first steps, for denying you a chance to grow, live and learn. We're sorry we'll have to wait so long to hold you in heaven. Love, mom and dad. Marcus John, if only you were here today, you would almost be 13. God, these are hard to read. I'd be driving you to basketball and then maybe out to eat. I would help you with homework and we'd watch a little TV. Before I tucked you in into bed and prayed you had sweet dreams. I lost you for a lifetime, but will be with you in eternity. Love, Mommy. At the conclusion of the post-abortive class, both Brad and Kinshasta named their children and so Brad named his two kids Hector and Aura, and Kinshasta named her child Blessing. So we'd like to dedicate this episode to Hector, Aura, and Blessing. In the Gospel of Luke, when the lawyer asked Jesus for the rules within the rule, Jesus answered him by telling him the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, the priest and the Levite walk past the man on the road. And in doing so, they keep their lawful obligations. It was against their law to touch an unclean body. But the Samaritan isn't guided by rules or laws. He's guided by compassion for the one in need. If you would like to learn more about A Woman's Choice, you can visit their website, awomanschoice.org. To get more resources on this topic or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, you can visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. special thank you to our interviewees for this episode monica henderson kinshasta reed brad brown and annie hysong
1: our senior producer and host is jesse eubanks
0: our co-host today is rachel zabo who's also our producer technical director and editor
1: additional editing by anna tran
0: additional audio footage comes from natus films music for today's episode comes from lee rosevere Poddington bear scott holmes and wooden axel
1: Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills.
0: Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.